Trending news right now. Looking at what's happened in the world of social media in the last 24 hours on this terrific Tuesday, we're joined by Mighty Jamie, political analyst and social commentator. How are you doing today, Mighty? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for making time. Always great catching up. Let's go straight to it. Firstly, talking about the new Joburg mayor today, Dada Morero, who is confident that coalition parties won't turn their backs on the ANC. Tell us more. Well, I mean, there's a there's a wave, obviously, of enthusiasm coming from uh, the new Johannesburg mayor and the ANC and, you know, him saying that they've learned lessons from their previous mistakes and that they can get the coalition to work. So I think there's two things that we have to think about. Number one is why did the original coalition fail? Mm-hmm. And it failed primarily because of a lack of emotional intelligence, humility in negotiations, the kind of fight that we saw between the DA and Action SA um, never should have happened. The kind of undermining we saw of Mayor Mpopalate, former Mayor Mpopalate by Tony Leon and several other members of the DA national leadership never should have happened. You always want to make sure that your leader on the ground has the full support of the organization and also you want to make sure that public, uh, that private spats don't become public because those kind of things corrode and erode goodwill. And the real test is going to be whether or not the ANC can operate in a manner that is respectful of the other people in the room and fundamentally that they can avoid the kind of pitfalls that, uh, you know, befell the last coalition. And I think right now there may be no more appetite for this kind of a fight, which means that they may actually get to keep the city until maybe post-2024 elections. So in terms of uh, Action SA, having said that for now it needs a break from the DA, well, they did also mm-hmm. uh, say that they were happy with the work of Mpo Palace, but they want to uh, distance themselves or take a break from the DA, saying that they, they won't take the fall also for the coalition being ousted. What do you make of those sentiments? Well, I think, you know, um, the behavior of the DA fundamentally was the crisis here. You know, Herman Mashaba, when he was in the DA, was able to actually maintain a very stable coalition for a very long period of time. But he also said that the Democratic Alliance gave him problems. And in fact, the alliance between the DA and the SA was surprising because we all knew that Herman Mashaba had aspirations to be the mayor himself. And, you know, he had to make a lot of compromises and walk away from that because he couldn't see a path. But I think one of the reasons why they are also doing this is to put distance between themselves and the DA for the next election. When you come from the DA and when you've been a leader in the DA and you start a new party, at some point it's very important for you to actually show that these guys are a rival. We are an alternative option to, to them for that particular electorate and demographic. And I think... This is all with an eye to 2024 to actually say we don't actually fraternize with these people. We are ideologically different, we're strategically different, and voters should pick us over them. So I think this is really now going to show uh, that in that um, you know community of voters, there are two options, one being Action SA and the other one being the Democratic Alliance. Of course, there's a new entry as well, mm-hmm. Build One South Africa, but we'll see how that plays out right now. The established name is Action FA because they did win 200 and something uh, seats in Johannesburg. 
200-something uh, thousand seats in Johannesburg. So they've proven themselves in this market. And now, if they're going to solidify themselves, they do need to create some distance between them and the DA. And I think this was an excellent opportunity for them to do it, and they obviously took it. So for the new Joburg mayor, Morero, I mean, he enters an environment with multiple parties governing the municipality. How important will consultations be for him moving forward? They're going to be very important. And I think, um, you know, the ANC does have a, a longer history of managing consultation. You know, they've been part of the Tripartite Alliance. They've also now been handling several coalitions. And I think if they can manage the big uh, egos in the room carefully, uh, namely the EFF, you know, Action SA, those kind of things, they may be able to sustain power because um, if they don't do that, then their, uh, you know, coalition agreement is as precarious as any other, regardless of how confident they are now. And they also have to make sure that they manage the, 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 the public sentiment because a lot of people are very skeptical of giving the ANC back the city of Johannesburg. People were very uh, unhappy with the quality of service delivery, being overcharged bills, uh, you know, slow repair times uh, for maintenance, that kind of thing. So there's a lot actually of performative uh, administration that still has to be done by Dada Morero to actually show that he has a grasp of the particular issues which the people care about. All right, just talk our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, accepting an invite by the British royal family. Yeah, it seems uh, there's been reporting and also like a, a letter published um, yesterday by the royal family saying that, you know, King Charles invited him to come and visit and that he will be uh, going there um, to, you know, do a state visit and basically, you know, continue the bilateral relations that exist between South Africa and the United Kingdom. The issue really is mm. the African sentiment around these kind of visits is not favorable mm. um, to these kind of visits because fundamentally we must understand that the British monarchy is an imperial and colonial institution that actually accumulated its wealth off the back of royal charters that were given to companies such as the British South Africa Company, which came to SADC and actually terrorized people, stole land, dispossessed land, stole minerals, and gave part of those minerals to the United Kingdom. The founding of companies such as De Beers, for instance, mm. is as a product of that particular uh, journey. So when you go to that particular institution, the question then becomes, maybe you understand that you could have come into power when the Queen was already in that particular seat. And, you know, we, we, got, we got independence when the Queen was already sitting on the throne. But now there is a new um, person on the throne and perhaps it's time for us to have these critical conversations, conversations about reparation, conversations about restoration of African artifacts, of African minerals, conversations about the apology that needs to come from the United Kingdom for its role in slavery, colonialism, and also uh, a failure to return artifacts and minerals that were dispossessed from Africans. You know, our ancestors, our grandparents, great-grandparents, they died fighting this, uh, this regime and this monarchy and this institution. They suffered under this monarchy and the institution that it represents. So for us to go and confer respectability on it, for us to go and confer normalcy on it, is something that many people look at with raised eyebrows in the context of Africa. 
All right, so that's, I mean, that is on the general part of what uh, maybe we will be expecting from King Charles III in terms of, you know, his contribution or addition to the contribution that the role played in uh, South African affairs. But the, uh, Britain is also SA's fourth biggest export market. What do you think should be top of the agenda there in terms of economics uh, of what uh, uh, King Charles III can add on or contribute to the country? Yeah, you see, this is this is actually the interesting thing because if he was going to visit Liz Truss, if that was his official visit to visit Liz Truss or to um, go and speak to uh, you know foreign trade ministers, etc., this would make a lot more sense. But we must remember the monarchy is, is a ceremonial head in the United Kingdom, meaning that while they can put in a good word for you here and there, they actually cannot negotiate any deals for you, preferential deals, or to advance any foreign policy interests that you may have. Mm. So there's really little value to this particular visit, except for the aesthetics of the visit, the dignity, the gravitas, you know, being in the, um, you know, the approved circles of the royal family to be the first African leader who is given this kind of an invitation. But we must be cautious because this could also be blackwashing where you invite an African leader to kind of try to chase away the criticisms and the chorus of skepticism which is arising to say, hey, look, this African came and we are on good terms. Why are you therefore here in the United Kingdom and in Europe bringing up these issues? We must be very cognizant of the conversation happening in, in the United Kingdom, the conversation happening around the world. Even John Oliver yesterday was taking jabs at the um, you know, British monarchy and uh, the British Museum. So if there's a conversation around the world saying, listen, we're actually... Um, Side of this institution, we think it's an illegitimate institution that actually has its wealth built on colonialism and slavery and even neo-colonialism. When a black African leader arrives, then they can say, well, you know, this guy doesn't think we're racist or colonialists or whatever. So why are you guys complaining? And then it can quieten down legitimate criticism. So the conversation and the visit doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in the context of 2022, where the Queen did pass away and where he did ascend to power and where he made a lot of mistakes, you know, like in terms of like, you know, refusing to shake a black person's hand and, you know, shouting about his pen and the ink not going the way he wanted to. So Charles comes in with a lot of unpopularity that is lingering around his brand. And obviously we all know how the world loved Princess Diana and how they were not favorable to the way that Camilla became the queen consort. So that's a, a separate story, but I think it yeah. speaks to um, his brand and his hold on that, uh, you know, royal gravitas, so to speak. Well, uh, the Minister of International Relations, Minister Naledi Pando, has said that they are honoured that King Charles III has maintained the royal's diary as the visit to Buckingham Palace uh, was planned before the Queen died. So let's talk petrol prices then in the country, said to decrease for a third month in a row now. Is this uh, good news or are we still a bit, uh, I don't know, 50-50? We need to look at it closer. Yeah, look, it's good news for, for what it is, right? And we, we have to fill our tanks and take the savings uh, as they as they come. But we also have to keep an eye on the current trends that are happening in, the, in, in, in Europe with this war. And it looks like, you know, Putin is doubling down. There have been uh, leaks in the Nord Stream, whether they were sabotaged, whether they were self-inflicted. Um, we may never know for years. 
But all of that means that as European winter kicks in, we may see a resurgence in the, in the price of oil and gas. And um, because the demand in the United Kingdom, the demand in Europe will, will shoot up because they use it a lot for central heating, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, maybe it's, um, you know, the calm in the, in the middle of the storm. You know, in geography, they teach you that the storm comes in two ways. Mm. You get the first one, then you get that eye of the storm, which is like calm, and then it comes back again. That, that may really be where we are. And so whilst it is welcome news, until this war situation is resolved, some of these um, global economic um, pressures are not necessarily going to go in our favor. And, you know, the U.S. dollar is still very strong compared to the RAND, and we have to keep an eye on everything. And there are a few elements of instability which are coming in the coming weeks because the Americans are going to their midterm elections, which may mean that Biden may pull away from making drastic decisions and mean that Putin may actually take an opportunity to make a few drastic decisions of his own. And this all could affect the the geopolitical uh, issues and the global supply chain issues, specifically around oil and gas. And by how much are analysts predicting the price will go down? Well, uh, some of the projections are indicating a reduction of um, one rand uh, for one of them, 93, I think, and 93 cents for another one. Um, I, just, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but those mm-hmm. those are the, the predictions. So it's... Uh, it makes a difference um, because yeah. it's, um, it's uh, 95 goes down by one rand and then 89 cents for 93. Um, and that's, that's going to make a big difference, you know, if you're feeling up a full tank this, this month of October. But October is when European winter starts. So maybe in November the story will be totally different. And November is going to be a big month politically. Uh, even some of the developments in Italy... Um, you know, they, they now have a, a, a more right-wing prime minister coming in, and that may either mean that uh, Putin feels stronger or that, you know, maybe we'll start to see some peace resolution. So it's very difficult to say right now where this whole thing ends. Um, but hopefully by December, we, the whole world has a clear indication of where this is going to be for 2023. All right, let's uh, talk Musi Maimane, uh, speaking on the Kaspar Nyoves fight. Uh, but saying that uh, Kaspar Nyovest uh, must be fighting Sivngesi next. So he was <laughs> victorious over the weekend, uh, over pretty ugly. Uh, yeah. Very, very shocking one there. It was two minutes, the first round, and then that was it. So, yeah, you so, know, pretty <laughs> yeah, uh, pretty, uh, pretty ugly. Uh, he put a promotional video, which I, I think he regrets now, because he was talking about how he's from, you know, Angola, he's from Soweto, he's from the East Rand, you know, and he's going to be able to to do damage to Casper, et cetera, et cetera. And then the the result in and of itself was pretty ugly for him. <laughs> and um, and then post the match, you know, Casper was not saying, okay, AKA doesn't want to fight me. And, um, you know, who should I fight next? And then Musi Maimane suggested seeing yes, who is his friend. Uh, they, they they actually, I, I don't know where they met each other, but they are friends. Yeah. And they are always together in their social media posts. So obviously he put the name of his friend, but they, we must all note that Sidney Gessie has been looking for this fight. He has posted a lot of videos of him boxing. One of them was even in heels. And, you know, um, he seems to have followed that Eastern Cape Crossman tradition of uh, being a boxing enthusiast. And we must know that boxing is very big in the Eastern Cape. And he looks like he really, um, you know, did junior level boxing and continued uh, with amateur boxing at some level, which is a 
far higher level of experience than some of the people that Casper is there to face because Casper has faced, you know, uh, a Twitter troll, basically a YouTube troll, and two rappers who did not seem to have a lot of experience in boxing. They were bodybuilders and very fit, but it's a totally different um, set of skills, boxing. It's a very technical discipline, and, you know, he's been, you know, a bit lucky here and there. And I don't know whether you'll take up this opportunity to actually fight a real fighter like Stephen Jesse. But if he were to do it, I think it would actually solidify what he's trying to do, you know, which is to, to bring back a culture of boxing, to make boxing, you know, uh, part of South African discourse in the way that it has been. And celebrity boxing has taken up a lot of interest globally because some of the YouTubers in America have been doing it. Um, and they've also been doing the celebrity boxing thing. So if it's if it's if it's really something that um, he wants to do in terms of pushing the discipline further, bringing back interest into boxing, this could be an interesting matchup. I don't think he'll take it because Stephen Gacy does look like you know he boxes for real, and he could even have the fight tomorrow based on some of the footage you've seen. And he's also in great shape. He has been training yeah. for that movie that they just did. Um, you know, and I think he's, he's, he's in great shape. So who knows if we'll see that fight. Uh, but it was an interesting uh, conversation. And the CBC is trending. Other people came and also said that, you know, he's a, a viable contender, if not the main contender. And he said that, you know, he wants to have this fight. So it's Casper Dixie. Yeah, and uh, he's done. He did a movie as well uh, as uh, playing a boxer. And it was very convincing there because he looked like he didn't just, you know, act it, but he trained for it as you say, is in, in pretty good shape. And I mean, I, I don't know how they weights exactly, but he would seem to be in the same category of uh, weight with Kaspar because Pretty is 20 kilograms smaller than Kaspar Njovis. It would be, I think, a more interesting fight when two people are almost of the same or of the same category yes. of weight. Yes, weight, weight divisions do matter, you know, and I think Kaspar has been playing a bit fast and loose with just boxing anybody. And that, that 20 kg difference is a big one. And so... He's, he's short. He's a short guy, but he's a he's, he's he's a very muscular guy, and muscle weighs quite a bit. And he is a stocky guy, so he'll he'll definitely be able to be in a closer weight division, you know, um, compared to where Kaspar is. But also, like he he, he is he does have the, the the boxing movements. He does have a lot of the footwork and a lot of the handwork. So it it will probably be a one round fight as well. Maybe not in Casper's favor this time around but it could be something that really generates genuine interest because part of the interesting thing about Casper Nieves is that he is brilliant at events promotion. More than anything, events promotion is one of the things that he's excellent at doing. He's a, he's and, a good businessman, yeah? He's so yeah, broadly, broadly, broadly he's a good businessman. And um, But I'm just focusing on that element of events promotion. If you think about Philip Pedone, if you think about these boxing events, he can take a, a concept and take it all the way to having, you know, 20,000 people or the whole nation talking about it. And very few people are able to do that re- repeatedly across different disciplines, across different types of events. But what I wanted to say is that if he were to do this kind of a fight, I think that that would entrench the event in and of itself and make it become part of, you know, something that South Africans do, you know, to go see the celeb fight in Sun City, etc. I think that's something, but obviously he has to think about this Dimasake as well, whether or not, yeah. you know, this fight is a, is a good matchup because boxers do choose their fights very carefully. They don't just go box anybody because 
you know, if you go box the wrong person, that could be the end of your career. Yeah. Well, let's leave it on that note. Thanks again for uh, chatting to us. Always uh, uh, appreciating you. Mighty Jamie is political analyst and social commentator discussing trending news.